0: Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message. This is the CEO's
1: Forum and we get behind the scenes in the office of the CEO to find out what does it take? What are the pressures? Do they sometimes feel like giving up or shooting somebody? Off, off record. <laughs> Kelly Gajapu is my guest for tonight. Is the CEO of DataBank. Kelly, welcome to Springboard once again. And let's start by talking about your work schedule. Some say they start the day late and they close the day late. Some say they have no working hours. They just work through and through and through till they fall dead. <laughs> What's your work schedule like? And okay. what are the things that engage you, <clears throat> Job
2: as CEO? Thank you very much, Albert. Uh, let me just quickly say good evening to your listeners and particularly to. To pay uh, much uh, considered tribute to you and Comfort and the entire Legacy and Legacy team, I'm m- very impressed with the preparation and effort that you do in your show. Uh, so I, I hope that the listeners uh, get the benefit that I know you want to impart. You're living out what I see as uh, a very important Thing of interest to me but you've changed into a vision of yours and it's, it's fantastic I, I do wish you all the best Thank you. now you asked me uh, what precious what's your work schedule like my what, work what schedule. goes into the typical deal of a CEO okay I may I have to say I may not be your conventional CEO that's that's what you're looking for <laughs> uh, in the sense that I consider myself extremely fortunate uh The business I'm in, which is financial services, uh, we've been at it for 20-plus years. And over the years, we've accumulated incredible talent, incredible talent uh, in the firm. And the way work flows in the firm does not require me in a lot of detail. And so unlike other CEOs who are just busy as hell and, you know, you can't even find them, I happen to be one of those who I try very hard to get out of the way so people do their work I only get involved where they get stuck where I am pushing a particular agenda but apart from that I get out of the way I'm
1: told is the ultimate position that many CEOs desire but I'm unable to build the structures to enable it happen I'm, I, I speak to many CEOs who say this is where they ultimately where they ultimately want to get to but it takes quite some application and effort. Would you call talent the secret of being able to build that kind of organization
2: where the CEO is literally redundant? It's absolutely, it's getting the right people in the right places. Uh, and in particular, I think it also would uh, depend on the type of business you're in. I happen to be in the business where human capital is basically your stock in trade. Uh, we don't have uh, spare parts or uh, raw material that is sitting in some warehouse to process. Our work in trade, our, our thing, is the human beings we have. And so once we have the right people, and thank God we do, uh, the rest of it falls in place. We, we have an extremely deep bench at Data Bank, uh, and I'm very honored and truly very lucky They don't miss me when I'm not around, and I think that's great. I I don't have a problem either.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll interrogate that a bit more as we go along, but let's talk about decision-making. You you talk about the fact that unless you're pushing an agenda, I get a sense that for every CEO, um, there, there are critical times when some kinds of decisions cannot be made by your subordinates, by your other team, your colleagues in various places um, in the firm and it will require you to, to make them some are difficult decisions that you, you're making and you know that this is this is a real tough one. Share with us some of the difficult decisions a leader has to make. It could be locational, it could be personnel, it could be resource. What are some of the difficult decisions that a, a leader has to make?
2: Okay, not in any particular order, but I think Um, personnel, hire and fire decisions are the most difficult ones. I think Which which one is more difficult? um, In my view, hiring. Because you are at a crossroads and you are trying to really say now I've got two or three people in front of me I have one slot by the time you get to two or three people they are all very talented you're seeing bright eyes and you're saying oh my goodness, I wish I could have all three but you can't. So that's a very tough junction. Uh, the hiring bit is just unsavory. It's, it's the, fi- the firing bit. It, sorry, the firing bit is unsavory. So you sort of just have to uh, get it done with. Uh, generally, by the time you get to where you have to ask someone to leave or to be separated f- uh, from an employee who probably you've had a good working relationship uh, with, it's, it's difficult. But... Uh, the real challenge is the, the hiring to get to get it right. Uh and, and, and that was the other one. A a couple of difficult decisions. You talked about Yes, so okay, so personnel is one, uh resource allocation is another because you never have enough. Absolutely never and you shouldn't have enough. Otherwise then you're probably going to be inefficient. So, where are the priority areas and where can I get the most bang for my buck? And how do I do it such that the people who don't get as much as they expect uh, do not feel as though they are being uh, treated badly or shunted or shoved aside, that kind of thing. So, resource allocation, I would say, is one of the key ones. Is there sometimes a conflict between profit and passion?
1: (laughs) I... Profit and passion. You're passionate about something. You want to put money there, but some other aspect of the business is more profitable. Do you you ever have a conflict between profit
2: and passion? I must say, in I'm not in our line of business. Even though um, there is a certain level of joy in passion, uh, if we are not profitable, it means my clients are not happy. It means I'm not delivering service. And so I look at the bottom line as an indicator uh, of, uh, as it were, uh, customer service. It it tells me that I'm making people happy and therefore they're happy to pay me. That's how I see it. Uh, The passion is across board is always there. Uh, Passion is something that is required for you to get out of bed in the first place, for you to be where you are sitting in the first place. So I don't see a conflict, but I do see in terms of measurement, profitability is, uh, to me, I equate it to the level of customer service satisfaction.
1: My interpretation of your answer is that you, you are passionate about the thing that brings you the profit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> Once the profits All are right. coming, I'm passionate. All right,
1: So let's talk about Data bank a bit. You are continually evolving as a company and you have had a major transition. Everyone, when you mentioned Beta Bank till today, everybody says Ken. Sometimes they say Ken and Kelly. And so I suspect that people can still not relate to the fact that Ken no longer runs the firm and you run the firm. Th- th- does it give you... Uh, let's let's talk about the dynamics of the transition
2: mm-hmm. and, and how you've handled it. Mm. It... it I myself was as um, taken aback by the suddenness of Ken Mr. Freta, Ken Freta having to leave. but I must say i mean i have I've been blessed to have a partner and a senior partner that uh, in Ken. Um, I'm not sure it gets better i, I i'm I'm really I'm, I'm not sure it gets better. and so over the twenty years, Ken and I have shared an office. You've been to our office. We've shared an small office small table. <laughs> with a little table sitting across from each other. Uh, he's talking on the phone. I'm talking on the phone. We're listening. Listen, it was a seamless transition. So seamless that if you ask me, so what day was it, I can't quite tell you. I know it was early uh, last year. Uh, the only big surprise I truly had was that one particular day on a Monday I came to work. And Ken had come in over the weekend and just simply cleared out of the office. Now, I, up to now, I'm not even sure what that meant. And I, but I think I, I think he was trying to say, "Look, guy, over to you. I'm not even going to be around for you to look over your shoulders, take it, and run with it." I think that was a message. But I was just amazed. I mean, he took his books because he, he, you know, he's very literary. So all his books, everything, he, t- he just he came in, packed, and when I went to his house there, they were in the corner of the room <laughs> upstairs. He hadn't even unpacked them yet. So I think the, the, the symbolism was to give me that space that he thought would be useful for me to know that, look, sit in the chair and get, it, get, get going. And uh, like I said, we have a deep bench. Uh, the transition was smooth. I'm just blessed that the way DataBank is structured, where we have units which are extremely autonomous, Each of those units has a leader or a head and those guys get on with it they've been with us they know what they're doing they just get on with it with or without my 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 um, presence so it's been it's been smooth
1: have you have you ever felt i'm still interrogating the issue of yourself versus ken i i will not be surprised that people will still compare do you ever find yourself feeling sometimes
2: inadequate um, no, I'm sorry, I don't. Uh, why, why, why do you have to be sorry? Well, I'm sorry because maybe that's the expectation, but you see, Ken and I work together from the very beginning. I have never found it necessary to compare myself. Ken is an individual, very talented, very blessed in his own way, extremely bright and sharp. I've always admired him. I'm my own individual, very comfortable in my skin, knowing fully well I'm not Mr. Ken I've known that since childhood because right. we're childhood friends. So I don't. I must confess, I don't. I don't have that feeling. Right. However, what I do know is that it would be a shame that, having put forth such effort, that his uh, his work and his effort and legacy is not properly sustained and grown. Uh, is that pressure? Not really. Uh, it just becomes a sense of responsibility because if you are handed something uh yours is not to whittle it down to zero yours is to move it from where it is to whatever next level there is so i have a sense of responsibility to the firm i have a sense of responsibility to our shareholders and indeed to myself to push it along the path and push it as far as i can push it so Kelly okay, let's talk to the
1: the next generation one of the things we are passionate about is raising a new generation of african leaders and executives we want, the, we want to believe that we can contribute through this platform and other interventions like the roadshow, Show to ensuring that a new generation can come through that would pick the lessons from your generation and do things much better than what we did in our time. And what, it, it's something we feel very passionate about. And so let me, let me throw this to you and ask you, you've observed a number of young executives come through your firm, interacted with them in various fora, etc., etc., what would you call the biggest challenge that the upcoming generation of leaders in business and other fields face? What would you call their biggest challenge?
2: Well, I think I I think it's that evergreen conflict between um, their value system and their practices and ethics that they find in the workplace. Uh, As they ascend the leadership roles in their various careers, they will constantly confront conflicts between their value systems and what they see going on. And a lot of times, a lower ethical threshold can seem like it gives you some higher level of uh, profits, right and or at least uh, short-term profits. And the ability to have a long eye to say, "No, no, we're not going in this direction. Uh, we will not take this one today because it's not what we believe in. It's key. Uh, it's key not because you can get caught and you'll be embarrassed and you get in trouble. It's not about that. It's key because you're building for the future. And the foundation that you lay today is really what's going to tell how tall your building can be tomorrow. And if you mess around with the foundation and you weaken it with you know, uh, ethical dilemmas and difficulties, it will catch up with you. The size of your foundation or the
1: depth of your foundation will determine the height of your building. And those are the thoughts of Kelly in saying that the conflict between your personal values and what you see around you must be resolved in favor of lifting the the value threshold if i may use those words and he's saying that lowering them will not necessarily in the long term give you an advantage even though in the short term you may seem to be getting some profit or some money or some gain because you are cutting corners in the long term it would catch up with you When me ask you about failure kelly failure or, or bouncing back from setbacks as, as a business i'm sure there are times when things have been very tough for you and Hopkins made a point that, in a quote, that the number of times I succeed is in direct proportion to the number of times I can fail and keep on trying. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the times when, as a business, you felt, listen, if God doesn't come to in the
2: next... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you know what oh, I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, uh, hallelujah. Listen, <laughs> I, I think that everybody needs to know. I don't know if it's even a secret, but people need to realize that, You cannot succeed without failing, and I'm not saying failing once, failing several times. The Americans have a saying; they say you can't. uh, I think you can't cook an omelette without breaking an egg. Mm. It's just I I don't even know why we need to even uh, doubt that failure is as much uh, a part of the journey as success. Uh, I'm quite certain there are people and especially the very seasoned uh, executives who hire top ranking um, you know people to join their teams who will not touch you if you've never failed they will just not give you a job right uh, clearly you know uh, what, what is the sense in that well to start with it means that you have tried something which you believed in which you pushed and pushed hard and even though you didn't succeed Got up again and tried again. It's, it's so important because there are no guarantees, especially sometimes when you are the threshold or you are the four of things which haven't been done before, mm. and there's no easy formula. Uh, if you are looking for a beaten path, well, you are the four, so there's no beaten path, and therefore it becomes very important that you yourself cut a path without the fear of failure. And that is, I think, where a lot of people need to understand that failure itself is not the problem. It is what you do should failure occur. What do you learn from it? How do you stand up? How do you move to the next? What, the, the Failure itself, really, is it's, sometimes failure is not even your own fault or it's not uh, coming up. You can be doing something properly and someone shifts the goalpost on you and you will not succeed. So you need to just learn your lesson when, if and when it occurs. But you shouldn't worry when it does i was listening to jim ron um, the late jim ron one of the one of the speakers
1: i love to hear over and over again and he made a very remarkable statement he says in choosing the people to listen to once in a while you must catch somebody who blew it all who messed it all up and listen to them for 40 minutes it will be more than therapy for you because after listening to them the likelihood of you repeating their mistakes is almost nil because mm-hmm. the imprint will be so strong, strong. on you yeah. so he, 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 he's making the
2: point that you, you can learn as much from what doesn't work as you can from, from what works. I think the shame for all of us, and I'm, I'm still a learning human being, is when we fail to learn from failure. Right there's always a lesson in it more than probably even success right <laughs> all right so there's been
1: considerable discussion around the coffee tables of this life mm. with very divided opinion about the political affiliation of business leaders and the potential impact on their businesses some say listen if you are in business in this country we are very petty don't don't let anyone know which you what your political affiliation is and others say listen if you cannot afford to hide your religious affiliation, your social affiliation, your family affiliation, what what, what, what what big deal is it that you believe in one political ideology or philosophy or not? Let, let me ask you straight. What's your opinion? I, I, know, I know this question comes to you very directly because of DataBank. Let me ask you personally, what's your opinion on business and politics? I think the two
2: should be kept separate. I think that you should not use the workplace for politics uh, because that's not what you are there for. And there isn't a process at the workplace where politics is rewarded or not rewarded. So, Ex- Explain that. In other words, when you go to do your annual review or evaluation, there is no part of that form that says, well, hey, did you do this aspect of the politics, or did you do that aspect of the politics? And therefore, it's not a fair thing to introduce into the workplace. Uh, Not only that, it also gets complicated, especially in a a system or a society like ours. I don't think that you should do politics, that is uh, party politics in the workplace. It does not foreclose you having your opinion. It does not foreclose even your colleagues knowing where you stand on political issues. Uh, at Data Bank, obviously, we are a collage of all the political views. I have people who work with us. I don't even know. It's not a concern of mine, quite frankly. I do not wake up worrying about people's political color. But I do know that we've, and we've had instances where people have made their views known. And I take much pride, quite frankly, uh, at the fact that unbeknownst to particularly me, who is in leadership of the firm, uh, we have the broad variety. And I think good for good for us at DataBank because we do have the broad variety and the firm is working. Thank you very much. Uh, and for me, it's important. Would you be comfortable with somebody working within your organization getting active on the platform? Uh, you see, there it gets a bit tricky because now I am serving a public and that public needs to see me as... Uh, an A, political deliverer of goods and services uh, and their measurement road more than my party color or the party color of people who are serving them ought to be our performance. So know that the discomfort is not in their choice. It's in the if you will the deviation. I want people to judge me on merit and service delivery. So I don't need that Deviation. I need people, my clients and customers to focus. How i how how are my accounts doing? How are you serving me? Am I happy with the service? Without thinking of any other. So, the, 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 political affiliation itself being known is not. By itself, the problem. The problem is that if you if it becomes too loud, it takes away from the service we are trying to provide. When it leads to
1: tagging and the and the and the and the repercussions that come with it, um, what would be your view of it? It, you know, and not just for data bank for any com- for any, any company, company who, by virtue of the affiliation of their leader, um, suffers some kind of <laughs> tagging
2: and re- re- repercussions. Yeah. What would be your personal view of it. Well, I think that. Um, it's a reflection of society and probably a reflection of how society the point that with society is and how society views politics and how it's done uh i know that in the more developed countries it's it's a non-issue i was going to talk about it i mean I, you, you read um um daily mail
1: and they say we are one newspaper will say listen we are avowed Conservatives, some people say we are Labour yes. and the it's, Washington it's, it's Post complete. will declare way ahead of time oh, yeah. they are they lean it, towards the side. Yes, no. And they same Washington Post will castigate the party they, that they claim, they they claim support. to support. right? Properly. So the, is it is it a matter of maturity or
2: is it a case of pettiness mm-hmm. from outside of the... I'm praying uh, it's a matter of maturity and involvement. That we'll get there? We're better because we've chosen to cut this path. We all know that insofar as 9 point something or 10 million Ghanaians go to vote, we all have some political color or other. Even if you don't if it's not a full time job fine, but we all have an opinion as it relates or regards to politics. So let's not pretend as though uh, in a a workplace somebody feeling this way red or this way blue is strange. We all know we have those views. The issue is how we deal with it and the proper way to deal with it and like you are just saying In some of these developed uh, markets or economies or countries, it's a non-issue. They they sit together, and everybody knows business is business. And and let's just... Be sure that the workplace is to do business is to deliver goods and services for our customers and our clients.
1: You say it's maturity, and you say we will get there. Are we getting better, or are we getting worse in terms of tagging, labelling, and the implications? You know, be honest better? with
2: you, I'm not a social scientist. Sometimes it gets downright depressing. I mean, <laughs> if you want to hear the passion from Kelly regarding the way we treat ourselves when it comes to politics, I would score as very low. I think, I think we we can do so much better. And I think something of the leadership elk needs to lead the way properly. The kind that says, no, I heard you say this, I am the leader of this faction. Uh, this is not a proper way to go about it. Uh, it's, we cannot continue, and especially this kind of thing that divides us and brings down people, especially companies, we need to get
0: over it. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert N E Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email Albert at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus two three three two four nine 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 nine. 000. you may also subscribe to amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials until we come your way again always remember you are blessed indeed has
1: come